How can you put the feeling of liberation and freedom into words? The infamous Auschwitz concentration camp was the cause of unthinkable bondage, oppression, and suffering. Atrocious acts of brutality and slaughter were committed in these camps. It is estimated that 1.3 million people were sent to Auschwitz and 1.1 million people died. If not by the gas chambers, by starvation, exhaustion, disease, individual executions, or beatings, Auschwitz prisoners ached for liberation and freedom. How would you begin to put their desires into words? Beginning January 17, 1945, around 58,000 prisoners were evacuated under guard from Auschwitz. Many were killed on their way to camps in Germany. At around 9 a.m. on January 17, 1945, the Soviets began to liberate the over 7,000 people left in Auschwitz. One of the first Soviet soldiers uh, to, to enter Auschwitz was Georgi Alisavetsky, uh, who said of that day, when I entered the barrack, I saw living skeletons lying on the three-tiered bunks. As in fog, I heard my soldiers saying, you are free, comrades. I sense that they do not understand us and begin speaking to them in Russian, Polish, German, Ukrainian dialects. Unbuttoning my leather jacket, I show them my medals. Then I use Yiddish. Their reaction is unpredictable. They think that I am provoking them. They begin to hide. And only when I said to them, do not be afraid. I am a colonel of Soviet army and a Jew. We have come to liberate you. Finally, as if the barrier collapsed, they rushed toward us, shouting, fell on their knees, kissed the flaps of our overcoats, and threw their arms around our legs, and we could not move, stood motionless while, expect, while unexpected tears ran down our cheeks. How can you put that into words? Now imagine being liberated from sin and all of its effects. No more evil desires, words, or actions. No more conflict, war, disease, aging, injustice, poverty, oppression, anxiety, pain, suffering, or death. All of it gone. Imagine being perfect. Imagine the world around you being perfect. Imagine it. That is, that is desirable, I would say, to say the least. And it's unfathomable. Brothers and sisters, our daily struggles with sin and its effects, our, our love for God and our desire to see our Father glorified, all drive us to ask Him, your kingdom come. To ask your kingdom come is to ask God to bring final and complete liberation and freedom to us and to our world. What, what we're after today is to better understand what we are asking our Heavenly Father when we ask Him, your kingdom come. Again, as we walk through the Lord's Prayer, I want the Spirit to form in you and in me a heart for God and a proper stance, style, and substance of prayer as members of the covenant of grace. In the, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gave profound categories that should shape our prayers. He began with the address, our Father in heaven. 
which identifies who our God is and who we are in relation to him and each other. As we saw last week, prayers that please our Father are God-centered, familial, humble, reverent, and worshipful. After the initial address, Jesus gave six reverent requests to shape our prayers. Let your name be hallowed. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Deliver us from evil. Hallowed be your name is the first petition because it is the purpose of the other five petitions. The entire Lord's Prayer is directed towards the glorification of God in his people and on earth. So don't forget why we're asking God for these things. Today we come to these simple words, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Now we've prayed this many, 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 many times but do we understand what we're asking for? The Lord's prayer is simple, but it's deep, it's profound, it's rich. What are we asking for when we ask your kingdom come? Well, that's not an easy answer because the kingdom is not easy to understand. The late Dr. James Boyce said this, what is God's kingdom? This question is not so easily answered for the views of Bible teachers and commentators often have differed greatly. And the Bible presents so many aspects of God's kingdom and presents them in so many lights that any short answer is incomplete and often misleading. Dr. Patrick Schreiner further expresses the difficulty. Two difficulties present themselves in defining the kingdom. First, since the kingdom is nowhere defined in the scriptures, people tend to pour in their own meaning. The second problem is that the kingdom of God is a huge concept that resists categorization, end of quote. So, beloved church, my aim is to help you better understand the kingdom so you can better understand what you're asking your father for when you pray your kingdom come. Now, imagine learning to speak Swahili, but then never learning what Swahili means. And so you talk to your Kenyan friends And they understand what you're saying. They understand you, but you have no idea what you're telling them. Well, that's that's what we would call a relational barrier. That's not going to be a good thing for the friendship. If we don't know what the kingdom is, we don't know what we're asking for, uh, what we're asking for, and that's a relational and a spiritual barrier. In fact, How will we know if God is actually answering our prayer if we don't know what we're asking him for? But when you know what you're asking for, praying your kingdom come will build your faith as your father responds and answers your prayer. So, what is the kingdom? Friends, that's not an easy question to answer for me or for anyone. It's also a controversial question among Christians. Here's here's where studying scripture with ancient creeds and confessions and catechisms in hand helps protect us against theological innovation. The ecumenical church and reformed churches of ages past help us greatly in this regard. I can only give you some basics of the kingdom, but I've addressed some of this earlier in this Matthew's series. A detailed look at the kingdom, uh, friends, would take a long time, months. 
Uh, there are so many scriptures to consider in answering this question, so I have my work cut out for me this morning as I try to condense the kingdom in a way that helps your prayer life. Simple, straightforward, helping your prayer life. And, and I found Zacharias your Sinus very, very helpful on the kingdom, so I printed out some copies of a selection of his work that is available on the back table if you want to grab one on your way out. If we run out, let me know. I can get more, but uh, that's available to you. So let's start here. First, the kingdom is singular, one. Scripture refers to it in various ways, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ and God, the kingdom of the beloved son, the kingdom of their father, the kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and sometimes just the kingdom. So there's one kingdom called by various names, titles. Second, when we hear kingdom, we naturally think of what? A king, right? A king and his reign and his rule over his people according to his law in his realm. We, we think of the king providing for the citizens of his kingdom, protecting his people from his and their enemies and conquering his and their enemies. So think of the kingdom as King Jesus reigning and ruling over his people according to God's law, providing for them and protecting them against their enemies, even defeating all his and their enemies so that his truth, justice, goodness, peace, love, joy, on and on, um, benefit his people in his kingdom. The, The gospel of Matthew begins where? It begins with the royal lineage of Jesus the Christ, and progressively unfolds throughout the book his messianic work as prophet, priest, and what? King. The kingdom gets a little trickier when we talk about the biblical and theological principle of already but not yet. Already but not yet means that in a certain sense now, the kingdom has already come. But in another sense, the kingdom is yet to come. So let me explain. How has the kingdom already come? Simply put, when the king arrived, the kingdom arrived. The opening chapters of Matthew confirm this. God, beautifully, was graciously drawing Jews and Gentiles to worship the king of kings, the shepherds and the wise men. Before Jesus began his public ministry, John the Baptist preached very clearly, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus began his public preaching ministry with the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This meant that the kingdom had come near because the king had come near and began his kingdom work. Jesus came to rescue his people from the domain of darkness bring them into his kingdom of light and begin his reign and rule in their hearts and in their lives. When he arrived, the time was right. The time was right. It was perfect timing. For Jesus said in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Notice he didn't say, grab a sword and follow me. What Jesus said in Matthew 12.28 is striking. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
See, the kingdom of God had come upon them because the king had come to save and heal and restore his people through his messianic work. What Jesus said in Luke 17, 20 and 21 is also very striking. Listen carefully. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. When's it coming? When? He answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Why did Jesus say that the kingdom of God cannot be observed and that it was in the midst of them? What was going on there? Because it is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly political kingdom or to restore the kingdom to Israel. That wasn't his purpose. He came to save his people from their sins, which is a spiritual reality. Why did they name him Jesus? For he will save his people from their sins. Uh, Jesus didn't come on a nationalistic mission, but on a spiritual mission to achieve redemption. Jesus said plainly in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. In John 6, when Jesus wanted, when they, the Jews, wanted to take Jesus by force and make him king, their earthly king, they knew of his abilities, they knew what he could do. A guy like that could do much for the nation of Israel. Jesus evaded them. He evaded them because he didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. Jesus didn't take up arms to liberate his people because he came to take up a cross to liberate his people. His conquest was via a Roman cross and an empty tomb, not a political or military campaign. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 confirm this thinking. Paul wrote this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Saints, we need to think of the kingdom in terms of deliverance from the domain of darkness, redemption, and the forgiveness of sins. We must think in spiritual terms. Dr. R. Scott Clark helpfully explains, when we pray for the kingdom to come, We are praying for something spiritual, for the realization of God's reign in the earth, which is to be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we say that the kingdom of God is spiritual, we mean that it is of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit through the word of God in the hearts, minds, and wills of believers, end of quote. Calvin called the kingdom the inward and spiritual renewal of the soul. He instructed us to look within to see the restoration of the church. Calvin said that that Christ the King establishes his kingdom within them and then added, it must be observed, however, that Christ speaks only of the beginnings of the kingdom of God. For we now begin to be formed anew by the Spirit after the image of God in order that our entire renovation and that of the whole world may afterwards follow in due time. That's good. That's really good. So the kingdom, brothers and sisters, is a present reality. 
that will be consummated in the future. Already? Not yet. For, for a more extensive look at the present reality of the kingdom, if you're like, I, I don't get that present reality, just go to Matthew 13 in the parables of Jesus where he explains this, and we'll eventually get to that in 10 years. The kingdom is already, so Christ has begun his work of renovation in us, in the world, but the kingdom is also not yet as in its coming, in its completeness. When Christ returns, he will complete the renovation of his people and the whole world and live with his people in the new heavens and the new earth. Are you getting a clearer picture of what the kingdom is? William Hendrickson summarized the kingdom like this. In its broadest connotation, the kingdom terms the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, or simply the kingdom, indicates God's kingship, rule, or sovereignty, recognized in the hearts and operative in the lives of his people, and affecting their complete salvation, their constitution as a church, and finally, a redeemed universe. The kingdom is God's sovereign reign and rule. The kingdom is now and will culminate in a completely restored universe. Amazing. As various scriptures make clear, you could go to Matthew 28, Ephesians 1, uh, Colossians 2. Jesus Christ, the promised Davidic king, is reigning and ruling now from the throne and is completing his conquest of all his enemies. Completing it, the last one being death that he will eradicate entirely at his return. Christ the king has already conquered death, amen? It's already conquered, already conquered. However, he will fully and finally destroy death at his return, amen? Amen, death is already conquered, but yet to be finally eradicated. See, various scriptures speak of the present reality of the kingdom and others speak of the coming reality of the kingdom. Maybe this illustration will help you. Saints, are you saved? Are you saved, saints? Yes, you are saved. I hope you can say absolutely, yes, I am saved. I, so, so the answer is absolutely for you dear people of God. But there is a sense in which we could say, you are yet to be saved. Isn't that right? Your salvation is sure, it's a done deal, it's secure in Christ, and yet it has yet to be completed, it has yet to be perfected, as Philippians 1.6 says, already, but not yet. Jesus gave a taste of his future kingdom every time he healed a leper. Every time he healed a blind person, every time he raised someone from the dead, he's just given a taste. Every time he performed a miracle, he's given a taste of what the kingdom is like. But he didn't heal everybody, did he? It wasn't final and complete, was it? Still people struggled, still we struggle today after Jesus came. See, he only began the restoration it is a sure restoration. It is coming, new heavens, new earth. But he's working that out. 
Our king will bring full and final healing and he will eradicate our last enemy of death so that we will never face death again, never to die. Amazing gospel. And that's hope when we hear that. That's comfort when we hear it. That's, that's gospel. One study Bible effectively summarizes what I'm trying to say here. The presence of God's kingdom in this age refers to the reign of Christ in the hearts and lives of believers and to the reigning presence of Christ in his body, the church, so that they increasingly reflect his love, obey his laws, honor him, do good for all people, and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. The will of God will be expressed in its fullness only when God's kingdom comes in its final form, when Christ returns in power and great glory, but it will increasingly be seen in this age as well. Brothers and sisters, aren't you catching glimpses of the kingdom across the globe even now? Yes, yes. God's people among the nations right here, we see it right here at Jerusalem Church, love his reign and his rule. Look at how the kingdom is advancing in places like China. It's the kingdom on advance. Saints, do, do we see God's law anywhere in the world right now revered and obeyed? Well, yes. The answer to that is yes. We have to put the qualification there. Of course, not perfectly. Of course, not perfectly. But yes, we do. God's people among the nations love his law, and they seek to obey his law. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of heaven has come to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And through Christ, by the Spirit, God's reign and rule has begun in our hearts, has begun in our lives, and is advancing in us and in the world as the church increases, and it will be complete at the return of our king. How we long for that day. Our our sanctification is evidence that the kingdom is advancing now. And our final glorification will come then at the consummation of the kingdom, at the return of the king, when our king restores us fully, when he brings the, the, the full restoration of the universe. Now, I'm a little sensitive to this. I don't want to weigh you down with copious and lengthy quotes. Okay, but I really also want to serve you well so that you can understand what the kingdom is so that when you pray your kingdom come, you know what you're praying for and, and that you pray with sincerity, growing sincerity and growing urgency that his kingdom would come. And so hang tough with these quotes. Hermann Bavinck was a, a German theologian of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. He, he wrote this about the kingdom of heaven, several quotes here, and this whole quote is loaded with scripture. I'm not gonna mention them all, but you'll hear the scriptural language of it, and it is so clarifying, and it is so helpful. Bavinck wrote this. Jesus himself came with the preaching that the time was fulfilled and that the kingdom of God was at hand. But this he meant, by this, he meant not only that before long the kingdom would come, but also that in principle, in his person and work, it had come already. For he is the Messiah in whom the Old Testament prophecy concerning the servant of the Lord has obtained its fulfillment, and who now sets about proving this by his works. For when he heals the sick, 
raises the dead, casts out devils, preaches the gospel to the poor, forgives sins. That is indisputable evidence that he is the one whom prophecy promised and that the kingdom of God has come to the earth. In the benefits which Christ gives, in spiritual and physical redemption, the treasures of the kingdom of heaven are made plain. Bavink was right. The treasures of the kingdom are received in Christ by grace alone, through faith alone. The miracles of Jesus, they evidenced and foreshadowed the completeness of the kingdom, his kingdom. And Bavink went on to explain the kingdom of heaven in terms of spiritual good and blessings. Bavink continued, the kingdom of heaven of which Jesus speaks is, after all, in the first place, not a gathering of people, a commonwealth of citizens, but a composite of spiritual goods and blessings, a treasure, a pearl, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That kingdom is of heaven, and it now comes down with Christ to the earth, for in him the Father distributes all those blessings and those goods. That's good. Do you understand that? In Christ we receive all the benefits of the kingdom. In the person of Christ. The benefits of the kingdom are in the person of Jesus Christ the King. And then Bavink added this, and this is very important. Listen very closely. He does this now already on earth. When through the Spirit of God he casts out devils. That is evidence that the kingdom of God has come. And this kingdom keeps on coming when it shares itself and all its treasures by way of faith. This kingdom makes progress as a tree which grows up and as a leaven which leavens the whole lump, a loaf. And it will in all its fullness be distributed in the future upon the return of Christ. The word of the kingdom fixes our attention, especially upon the treasures, the goods, the blessings which are distributed through the Father in Christ. The church is in Christ the owner, possessor, preserver, distributor, and heir of the kingdom of God. That is its treasure and its glory. It has no other value. Brothers and sisters, have we not already received in Christ the blessings and treasures of the kingdom? New birth, true faith, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, justification, adoption. Are they not yours in Christ now? Do, do we not live with our Father's sure promises of persevering grace? persevering by grace to be finally and fully glorified with Christ in that end day, to be finally and fully healed and made prosperous? Wouldn't you agree that you are healed now and yet you are yet to be healed? Dear saints, take heart. Take heart. These treasures of the kingdom are ours right now. We're receiving them right now, but we will receive them in full the moment that our glorious king returns and comes back for us. We have received healing for our souls. I hope you can say absolutely. And one day, our healing, the healing of our body and soul will be made complete. Our bodies will resurrect and be 
united to our souls to bask in the glory of the consummated kingdom of our Christ forever. Now, if you get what I'm saying here, your kingdom come will take on the deepest meaning for you, a profound meaning. So, we come to the question, what are we asking for when we pray, your kingdom come? What is that about? Saints, this is a wonderful petition given as a gift for us that our loving Father, he is ready and he is willing to answer this petition. If we pray this petition with clarity, sincerity, and urgency, I promise you God will respond. He will respond and we will see him. We'll begin to see him more fully working out, working this in us and working this in the world around us. If we understand the kingdom, as I've described it to you uh, this morning, we'll be looking for the right things. If we misunderstand what the kingdom is, we're going to be praying and looking for the wrong things, missing what God is doing in us and, and in the world around us, missing that great faith building gift that our Father's answering. Watch him work. Look what he's doing. Do you see what just happened there? That's, that's him bringing the kingdom more and more. You'll just miss that. You'll be looking for something esoteric, something different. If we know, we'll, we'll be able to see our Father respond. We'll watch him. And what will that do? It will give us greater comfort. It will give us greater assurance and peace and joy and gratitude, it will just serve us over and over and over and over. And this is where the Heidelberg Catechism is, is quite helpful. Question 123 asks the question, what is the second petition? And you know the answer already. You're a step ahead. Your kingdom come or thy, will, uh, thy kingdom come. And then the Heidelberg explains what it means to ask our Father to bring his kingdom. Heidelberg 123 explains with four simple parts. Four simple parts. Number one. So rule us by thy word and spirit that more and more we submit to thee. When we ask your kingdom come, we know our Father is answering when by grace the Holy Spirit puts sin to death in us and conforms us more and more to the image of our glorious Christ. When God's word changes us little by little and we obey his law more and more, it is God answering that petition, that request. The request is, rule me, Father, govern me, Father, change me, Father, with your word and spirit. Conform my life to your son, Father, that I may joyfully and willingly submit to you. That's what we're praying. Number two, preserve and increase thy church. Preserve and increase thy church. We're asking our Father, please protect us, your children. Provide what we need to persevere in this life for your glory. Save your people, Father, through the preaching of the law and gospel so that you will be glorified through the growth of your church. Your kingdom come is a prayer of conversion of lost souls and that that growth of the church. Number three, destroy the works of the devil, every power that raises itself against thee, 
and every conspiracy against thy holy word. That's aggressive. Your kingdom come, ask God to overcome all evil. Father, trounce the schemes and plots of Satan. Win, God, win over everything contrary to your holy word, to your holy law. Defeat it all. Don't allow evil to advance. Stop it, Father, for your glory. This, th- that prayer just will not be sincere or effective for worldly people content to live in their sin. It won't mean anything. How hypocritical to pray your kingdom come and then to justify your sin and to walk in unrighteousness. Calvin said, quote, we therefore pray that God would exert his power both by the word and by the spirit that the whole world will willingly submit to him. End of quote. We pray this because we want the world to bow the knee to our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want every tongue to confess that he is Lord and he is king and he is great. Brothers and sisters, we don't pray your kingdom come rightly without a deep love for God and a deep love for our neighbor. Our neighbor's sin should grieve us. Not that we're the moral police running around correcting everybody. You really ought to get that right, you sick wretch. That's not what I'm talking about. It just grieves you. For their case, for the glory of God, blessed are those who mourn. When people belittle our God with unrighteousness, wicked deeds, apathy towards spiritual things, it should bother us because we love him so. And we should pray that God overcomes so that he is honored by all in the world. Number four, do all this until the fullness of thy kingdom comes, wherein thou shalt be all in all. Do this, do all this until the fullness of thy kingdom comes, wherein thou shalt be all in all. The Heidelberg Catechism and the Reformers testify that the kingdom has come. And yet the fullness of the kingdom is coming. Already, but not yet. And that happens in in, in many other uh, things in Scripture. So to pray your kingdom come is to ask our Father to continue to bring his kingdom, all three things mentioned above in in the catechism, until the kingdom comes in its fullness where Christ will finally eradicate all sin and evil, justly cast Satan and his demons and all unbelievers to their rightful place in hell, thus ridding heaven and earth of everything in opposition to him. We want that. And so we pray for that. God will reign and rule in the new heavens and the new earth with complete and unhindered truth, righteousness, justice, goodness, love, happiness, joy, peace, prosperity, and on and on we could go about the glories of the kingdom. We pray your kingdom come because we long for the day when Jesus makes it all right and is glorified without hindrance everywhere. Oh, to live in the sweetness of that kingdom. The Westminster Shorter Catechism answers simile to the Heidelberg Catechism. This is all for clarity's sake. This is, this is what Westminster Shorter Catechism says. You'll hear great similarities. In the second petition, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced 
ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and that the kingdom of glory may be hastened. Our king is eradicating sin from our lives. Amen? And will conform us fully and finally to his glorious image. Amen? How should we expect our king to advance the kingdom of grace? How might you expect God to answer this prayer for you? How, what, how, how do you know? Your sign has said that the kingdom comes to us in four ways. Four ways. They're simple. Number one, by the preaching of the gospel. By the preaching of the gospel. We need gospel preaching to know and receive the kingdom and its glorious benefits. Uh, Preaching is essential in the advance of the kingdom. Number two, by conversion. By conversion. When God converts a hard-hearted sinner like me, grants them faith and repentance, brings them from guilt to grace to gratitude, we are seeing the kingdom come And it hardens us. It encourages us. We're like, yes, there it is. We we need to be converted to Christ to receive the kingdom. Number three, by increase and development. What does that mean? By increase and development. Or we could say sanctification. This is a precious truth. Don't miss this one. This is like a really big one. Sanctification, this is important to understand. When you and I make progress in holiness, when God's glory is increased in us as we mortify or as we put sin to death and as we vivify, as we put on Christ and the new man, we are experiencing the grace of the coming kingdom in our ongoing transformation. Our sanctification is our Father answering, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Our sanctification is a taste. It's it's just a taste, but it's such a good taste as we be conformed to, to Christ of what the final and full liberation and freedom from sin and guilt will be like. A a wonderful taste. When our God gives us victory over a certain besetting sin, and you know yours, and I know mine, they just keep coming back up and then. One day, he graciously provides and we conquer and we overcome. We we didn't fall prey to that temptation. We didn't take that taste upon our lips. That, dear friends, is getting a taste of what the kingdom is like when we are fully and finally delivered, liberated, freed. That is a taste of the goodness of our God providing and saying, I'm answering. I'm answering, I'm listening, keep praying, I'm listening, I'm working it out. Number four, by the perfection and glorification of the church at the second coming of Christ. I love this point too. By the perfection and glorification of the church at the second coming of Christ. Saints, one day, our great king, the Lord Jesus Christ, will return and we will be like him because we shall see him as he is The consummation of our king's kingdom is coming. It's on its way. In the 17th century, a certain uh, Dr. Daniel Whitby, I don't know who this guy is, but I found this quote. 
wrote this powerful summary. So this, I think, is what we ask for, just in summary, uh, by praying, your kingdom come. Whitby said this, from the 17th century. Let thy kingdom come. Let the gospel be preached to all and embraced by all. Let all be brought to subscribe to the record God has given in his word concerning his son and to embrace him as their savior and sovereign. Let the bounds of the gospel church be enlarged. The kingdom of the world be made Christ's kingdom and all men become subjects to it and live as becomes their character. Now let me ask you a question. Isn't that right there what you want? Isn't that what you want? So pray for it. Your kingdom come. Pray for that. But, but if, if, dear ones, you're confused by what I'm saying or you're conflicted by what I'm saying, perhaps it would help you to, to maybe just narrow it all down to this. To pray your kingdom come is to pray, our Father, conform me and my family, and my friends, and the world to Christ. Put sin to death in me and make me alive. Reign over me and rule me that I may hallow your great name. Just make it simple. That's the point. If you pray that with sincerity and with urgency, you will be praying your kingdom come.